0: Genesis chapter 27 this evening. Let me invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 27. During the fall of each year of my high school uh, career, I guess you could say, uh, everyone in the school would get ramped up for homecoming. And there's a lot going on during homecoming. There was the the ball games and and choosing of king and queen and uh, countless competitions that led up to the big night. Uh, one of the uh, they called that spirit week. you probably had that at your school as well. Um, one of the ways that we encouraged people or the school encouraged people to to um, increase their spirit for the school was to have a competition between the classes to see who had the most spirit and in order to do that they would give you uh, points they would award points, and the winner would would uh, basically win there 's not really a prize but um, they had all sorts of, of competitions throughout the week. One of my favorite uh, challenges um, was one that, that we had one year, where where you could challenge somebody from the other class to do whatever you wanted to do, whatever you think you could you you could win in. And uh, obviously, the the danger in that is that they could beat you. And whoever wins these competitions would would uh, would get points. Well, some of the kids in our class decided that they would do something extreme sorts of things in order to make sure that they got some extra points for our class. One one boy or young man by the name of Stephen in my class uh, set up a, a goldfish eating contest, live goldfish, whoever ate the most was, would win and this guy was a beast. He was a huge, you know, built guy and, and tall and, and uh, he, he ended up winning. I forget how many he ate, but everybody else kind of grossed out by that. The other classes didn't have to participate, but they, if they wanted to win, they, they had to, to eat more than him. Another girl in my class, uh, Kristen, um, challenged the other class to a horseradish eating contest where one scoop at a time they would, they would eat the horse It was very interesting to watch, and I think she ended up winning that one as well. So people will do kind of the strangest things and put themselves through personal torture in order to get the ultimate prize. Kind of a silly example uh, from high school, but but people will do some crazy things in order to get what they want, including ungodly things, like we'll see here tonight in chapter 27 of Genesis. I think each character in this story is seeking what is uh, in their minds of value, and in order to get that thing that is of value, we'll see that that's the blessing, this inheritance. They they determined to do some things that are against God. Rebekah and Jacob specifically, but even Isaac is at fault, we'll see. And what up, what is up for grabs here in this story is is highly desired by every single character. Isaac values it, he wants to make sure that it's passed on to the right person. Rebekah values it, she wants to make sure that it's passed on to the right person. Jacob values it, he he deceives in order to get it. And Esau values it because when he finds out that he doesn't get it, he is outraged. And the rest of his life would, well, not the rest, but much of the rest of his life would be spent in uh, rage against his brother. And uh, so we'll see this deceiving plan here that takes place in chapter 27. And what we'll see uh, as we go through is that believers who are seeking to please God must have more than a worthy goal. So it's good to have a good goal. What they were seeking to get, the inherited blessing of God, that's a good thing. But we must have more than a worthy goal. We must go about it God's way. We can't move ahead of God and manipulate the circumstances in order to get what we think we need. What we think God wants for us. Instead, we must trust God and follow His ordained means. So instead of... Um, reading the entire chapter is somewhat long. Uh, we're actually not going to, to um, study the entire chapter. We're going through verse 40. But I'm going to just take it verse uh, section by section, I should say. All right, so let's begin with verses 1 through 4. And here we'll see the blindness of Isaac. The blindness of Isaac. Verse 1 reads, Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, And he said to him, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow, and go to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that that my soul may bless you before I die. The blindness of Isaac. Now, the text is clearly talking about physical blindness, but... I think there's more to it than that. As we study the text, what we'll see is that Isaac is blinded more than just in his eyes. That he is blinded to Jacob's deception. He's not able to see that in a sense. But he's also blinded to God's choice. Who was it that God said would get the blessing? It was the younger. That the older Esau would serve the younger. He told that to Rebekah. And so, in a sense... Isaac was blinded more than just in his vision, but also in his, his, uh, his vision of spiritual things as well, seeking to pass on the blessing to someone whom God had, had uh, not chosen. Verse 1 shows us that Isaac had grown old, um, and uh, he was not sure when he was going to die. And a natural result of his going, of growing old is, is, was blindness. And he was expecting, according to verse 2, to die any day. I don't know the day of my death, he says. Now, at this time of the narrative, Jacob and Esau are 77 years old. We tend to picture them as young men um, and uh, and still with many years ahead of them. But they're 77 years old at this time. Isaac would, would be 137. And according to chapter 35, verse 28, Isaac lives till the age of 180, so at this time, he's thinking, this is it. Any day now. We, we, uh, at least I personally think, uh, when I think of this story, I think Isaac passes on the blessing to Jacob and a few weeks later, he dies. But no, he's got 40, 43 more years of life. He will see many of his grandchildren, uh, uh, many of the 12 sons of, of Jacob, if not all of them. So he calls Esau and tells him to bless him. He says, I want to bless you, Esau. I want, to, I want to pass on this blessing, but first, before I do that, I want, I want you to prepare a savory dish for me, that one that I really love. So go out into the field and hunt the game that you normally do and bring it back for me and then I'll bless you. And this is where we come to the blindness of Isaac when it comes to God's plan. That he is not seeing what God is doing here, what God is intending Look back to chapter 25, verse 23. I alluded to this earlier, but I want to show you that God had already told Rebekah that Esau would not be the one. Verse 23 of chapter 25 The Lord said to her, Rebekah, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, why was Isaac still so resistant to passing on this blessing to Jacob? I mean, certainly, Rebecca would have told him about this vision that she had of God. And, uh, and I think he would have known. But even though he likely knew this, he still wanted to give the blessing to Esau. Uh, but uh, this, is, this is not the only thing that Isaac would have known. Isaac also would have known that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of uh, of food. He would have known that. He also would have known that Esau married Hittite women. And so Esau was in no place to receive God's blessing. He was not concerned about God and His truth and passing on this truth to future generations and seeing all of the descendants blessed through him. But Esau loved, or excuse me, Isaac loved Esau because he was a hunter and because he had a taste for game, as we saw in chapter uh, twenty-five. So Isaac had a wrong response here, trying to give the blessing to Esau. He should have trusted God and followed ordained means. But he's not the only culprit in this story. We have another person who. Defied God, and that is Rebecca in verses 5 through 13. The deception of Rebecca. She pursues God's goals through deceptive means. She's pursuing a worthy goal. Make sure the blessing is passed down to Jacob. That's a good thing, because God had told her that. She was believing God's promise there, but she was doing it through deceptive means. Notice verses 5 through 13. Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father just such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me. Then I will be as a deceiver in his sight and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. Here, Rebecca is the one who is pulling the strings. Rebecca was behind the whole thing. Notice, uh, Jacob is not too uh, uh, excited about this whole plan. When, when uh, she tells him this plan, verse 11, he says, but, but what if I get discovered? I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to receive a curse instead of a blessing. She's the one who devises the plan. She listens in on verse 5. She's the one who tells Jacob. And she seeks to convince him. And that's what she spends verses 6 through 13 doing. And what you should notice in this is that Rebecca is the puppet master here. That she is coming up with the whole charade. She's convincing Jacob to do it. Look at verse 8. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. In other words, obey me. Do what I've told you to do and deceive your father. Notice verse 13. After he gives his uh, his, uh, his problem with the whole thing, she says, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them. Two times she says, Obey me. Listen to my command. She seeks to calm his fears and answer his objections. He says, Well, what about the hair, the hair on my brother? I don't want to get caught. And she says, Don't worry. i got it all under control. And that's because she is pulling all the strings. She came up with the idea. She makes the dish. She gives it to Jacob. She tells him to go in. And I imagine that when Jacob is in there, standing before his blind father, that she is directing from outside the room, telling him, keep going. Okay? Don't worry about it. It's okay. Kind of giving him hand signals to make sure that he follows through on this. And I personally, after studying this passage, I personally cannot see Jacob doing this apart from his mother. Okay? I'm not trying to, to put him in the clear. We're going to see that he is completely responsible or in one sense responsible for his own sin. But I think his mother was, was, was behind it and he wouldn't have gone through it without her unless she convinced him to do it. Because he does not want to receive a curse instead of a blessing. That's what he tells his mother. And so Rebecca really is the bigger risk taker here. She says, "Do it, Jacob. The curse, let the curse fall on me. If there's going to be a curse, I'll take it for you. Just do it." And so Rebecca, instead of following God, instead of trusting God and the ordained means that he had he had for passing on the blessing to Jacob, she goes on ahead of God where God didn't want her to go. In order to get this blessing for him. Okay, so we have the blindness of Isaac in more ways than one, in verses 1 through 4. Then we have the deception of Rebekah, pursuing a godly goal with ungodly means. Deception, verses 5 through 13. And now we see in verses 14 to 29, the deception of Jacob. That God shows Jacob favor in spite of, not because of, his manipulation. God shows favor to Jacob in spite of his manipulation of his father, of the circumstances. Verse 14, we'll read through verse 29. So he went and got them, that is the two young choice goats, and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, she also gave the savory food and the bread which she made to her son Jacob. And then he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up. Please sit and eat, eat of my game that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have, you, you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. And then Isaac said to Jacob, Pete, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And so he said, Bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate. He he also brought him wine and drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now... May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. The deception of Jacob in verses... Uh, 14 to 17, Jacob colludes with Rebekah. Remember, he didn't want to follow through on it. Notice in verses 11 and 12 what Jacob does not say. He does not say when he answers his mother, I cannot do this because this would be a sin against my father and against my God. He doesn't say that. He said, I cannot do this because I don't want to get caught, I don't want to receive further condemnation. He still wants the blessing and and yet he he doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't he's not really willing to deceive at first until she convinces him that it will be okay. And Jacob, like Rebekah and Isaac should have they should have trusted God and they should have followed his ordained means. And so Jacob deceives his father in verses 18 through 27. And in these verses, what you should notice is that there are uh, these sensory tests. Notice Isaac's suspicions, his suspicion of Jacob throughout the whole thing. And notice Jacob's lies. Okay, notice his first lie in verse 18 when his his, uh, father says, "Um, Here I am. Who are you, my son? In verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Get up, please sit, and eat of my game that you may bless me. So his first lie is, I am Esau. And the first uh, test that Isaac is given is a sound test. I call them sensory tests but because what you're going to see is there's all these different uh, tests that have to do with with uh, the senses. First, the sound test. He says, I am Esau. And... Um, and what we're going to find is that Isaac doesn't believe him he says uh, that voice is not the voice of esau it sounds like the voice of jacob and uh, there's also some some suspicion going on with isaac with regard to just the common sense of it all he had just sent out esau to to go and hunt the game that's going to take some time let alone prepare it and now he's already back with these with this meal prepared and so he says verse Twenty, Isaac said to his son, "How is it that you have it so quickly?" So here's Jacob lies again. He said, "Because God caused it to happen to me. He caused me to hunt this wild game and be able to. When really he just took some a couple of goats from their own flock. Then there's the feel test, the touch test. We could say in verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please, come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you're really my son Esau or not. It sounds, Isaac will later say, it sounds like Jacob. And it doesn't make sense that he's back so soon. But let me feel your skin. Because I know the difference between my two sons when I feel their skin because the text says that Esau was hairy and Jacob was smooth. Jacob um, fails the voice test, verse 22. You don't sound like Esau, but he passes the feel test. Notice verse 22 at the end. It says, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So he passes that touch or that feel test. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy, verse 23, like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and said, are you really my son Esau? And here's the third lie. And he said, I am. And uh, it's interesting to note that once, once Isaac says, you don't sound like Esau, you sound like Jacob. The only word that Jacob ever says after that is one word in the Hebrew language. And that's found in verse 24 at the end. I am. It's translated in English into two words. I am. But it's the one word in the Hebrew language, Yahweh. Okay, not that he's saying I am God, but he's, it's simply Uh, i am and so what what that should show to us is that jacob recognized that he was he was under suspicion by his father and his father was on the brink of finding him out and so he wanted to keep his voice his words to a minimum so his father did not get clued in so we have the sound test obviously can't have the sight test since he is blind uh They have the sound test. He fails that. He passes the feel test. And then there's the taste test in verse 25. So he said, Bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. And he also brought him wine and he drank. Apparently it tasted like food that Esau would have made. And so he passes the taste test as well. And then finally there's the smell test in verses 26 and 27. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please, come close and kiss me, uh, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Remember what kind of clothing that his mother put on him. Not only did he have the sheepskin on his hands so that he would feel like, like Esau... But also, he had the clothing of Esau that that apparently were kept with her. Maybe it was some family uh, clothing that he could only use on certain occasions. But whatever the case, it smelled like the field and not like what Jacob would smell like. Jacob was, remember, sticking around the tents most of the time, not going out hunting. Esau had a distinct smell. And so when Jacob comes close to to get a kiss from his father, uh, Isaac uh, recognizes him as Esau. So he failed the sound test. Jacob did, but passed the feel, taste, and smell test. And apparently that was enough for Isaac. That this piling up of evidence seems to be that this is clearly Esau. And so in verses 28 and 29, Isaac blesses Jacob. Notice the blessing here that it has uh, uh, three main, or two main parts. Now may, now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Keep in mind that Jacob had already purchased the birthright from his brother. Esau sold the birthright to him for some food. The birthright, as I mentioned, we were looking there, involved the material portion of the inheritance that was passed down. And it was a double portion. Remember, uh, Joseph got a double portion of the material blessing that was passed down from his father, Jacob. And, And that double portion meant that Joseph wouldn't just get one portion of the material blessing, but two. That's why you have Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph's two sons, receiving it. Here, what we have is not the birthright, but the blessing. This is something completely different. The blessing involved the continuance of the messianic line that would go through this choice son and also political power, governmental power. And so not now the Messiah would come not through Esau because he's not going to get the blessing. It's going to come through Jacob. And that Jacob would be the one who would have political power over his brother. And so what we have here is that Jacob purchases the birthright, the material blessing from his brother, and then he also deceives for the political blessing, the messianic blessing, having the the savior come through his line. And so the two main parts of the blessing in verse twenty eight, you have the prosperous land, that is the material portion of the blessing. Verse twenty nine, superior power as a nation. So Isaac finishes here. He thinks he's passed down the blessing to his older son Esau. This is him. He, I've asked him two times. And he's told me both times that he was Esau. So it has, and, and with all these other evidences that have piled up, it has to be Esau. So, the blindness of Isaac, the deception of Rebekah, and uh, the deception of Jacob, in verses 14-29. to 29. Now we see the distress of Isaac and Esau in verses thirty through forty. The distress of Isaac and Esau. Verse thirty reads, Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And then he also made savory food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father! And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants, and with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, And your brother you shall serve, but it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. In these verses, we see the distress of Isaac and Esau. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Proverbs 19, verse 21 Esau had some plans for his own life. This receiving this blessing. Isaac had some plans for his son's life, but it's not ultimately our plans that will will succeed. It's the Lord's plans. He will accomplish His purposes. He had told Rebekah that the blessing would go to Jacob, that he would be the choice son, that, that the older son would serve him. And so God's plans stand here. In verses 30 through 38, Esau begs for a blessing. He comes back with the meal. Notice how close he was to catching Jacob, to see Jacob in his silly disguise. Look at verse 30. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that's when Esau came in. It's almost like. Like, he just walks out the door or probably runs out the door when he realizes he's finally got it. I need to get out of here before I get discovered. Esau walks in. And he's shocked to find out that the blessing has already been passed on to his younger, deceiving brother. Notice Isaac's response in verse 33. Then Isaac trembled violently. Isaac was visibly shaken with rage, frustration, anger because his son had deceived him. He was so irate that his son would do this to him. Now, Esau Esau doesn't seem to do anything wrong in this text. When we look through this text, we see Isaac should not have wanted to pass the blessing on to his son Esau. Rebecca and Jacob both deceive in order to get what they want. Obviously, all three of them are in the wrong... But is he, has Esau really done anything? He seems to be the victim here. Before we pass him off too quickly, uh, we should consider the next passage that we're going to look at in the, uh, two weeks from now. That, that Esau, as a response to this, is filled with rage. And you know what Esau wants to do to his brother? He wants to kill him. And uh, his mother says, Jacob, you need to get out of here. Get out of this land. Your brother wants to kill you. Just stay away for a few days until he settles down. He's very impulsive. And and he tries to act on his emotions, but, but don't worry, he'll settle down. I'll come and get you. I'll send somebody for you. Turns out that Jacob stays there for uh, several decades. Um, and, uh, and his mother never comes to get him. So apparently Esau bore this grudge for a long time. So Esau says two times, but father, can't you bless me? You only have one blessing? Please bless me. Give me something. Notice what his father says in verses 39 and 40. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. Okay, so what was Jacob's blessing in verse 28? You will be a part of the fertility of the earth, you will be enjoying the dew from heaven. What about Esau? You're outside of that. So here's your blessing, Esau. It's not what Jacob gets. It's the opposite. And then in verse 40, by your sword you shall live and your brother you shall serve. The blessing to Jacob was your, young, your, your other brothers will serve you. For Esau, you will serve your brother. So he basically gets the opposite of what Jacob receives. It's not really a blessing at all that Esau gives. He basically just restates what he gave to Jacob, but now applies it to Esau that he would be subservient to Jacob and his people would be subservient to Jacob's people. Now, as I mentioned before, what makes narratives, a narrative passage like this story so challenging is that we're left without God's commentary on their actions. The text does not conclude with the words, and Rebekah and Jacob did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It doesn't say that. It says that Jacob received the blessing. And Jacob received that because of the certain actions that he he carried out. So, are we left to conclude that since Jacob and, and Rebekah pursued a worthwhile goal, God's blessing, then we ought to commend them and not charge them as guilty. In other words, does the end justify the means we have to make that choice when we come to a passage like this because the text doesn't tell us that's the way narratives work and that's the way life often works as well it's left without commentary from God obviously they are not to be held innocent here rather we have to evaluate their actions on the basis of the larger context of Scripture. What does the rest of Scripture say about deception, about lying? Is it ever right? And so we base our understanding, our reasoning of of what they have done on what God has said in the rest of Scripture. And what we find, as I mentioned uh, on a couple of occasions, is that all four of the characters are at fault. Isaac should not want to have wanted to have passed the blessing on to his older son who was a reprobate. He, he had no desire to follow God. Jacob and Rebekah deceived, and Esau would later hold a grudge and, try to, and want to kill at least his brother. But we may argue, you know, everything turned out okay. God accomplished His purpose. Nobody thwarted God's plan. Jacob and Rebekah accomplished their purposes. It all turned out okay in the end, so it really doesn't matter. But if we look at the rest of the story, it really didn't turn out okay. Jacob would not be okay. Yes, he received the blessing, but he also reaped what he sowed. Much of the rest of Jacob's life is spent with him being a victim of deception. What is the very next event that takes place? In chapter 29, Jacob goes to his uncle Laban to get this daughter that he wants to marry. And what happens? Jacob's not the deceiver this time, but the deceived. His children would be full of conflict. They killed Shechem and his family because he raped their sister. Then Judah's sin with Tamar, we read about in chapter 38. And then his very own sons, his 11 oldest sons, or his 10 oldest sons, deceiving Jacob into believing that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast. When really they had sold him off into slavery. So it didn't really turn out okay, did it? He received the blessing. He got what he wanted. But because he did it with the wrong sorts of means, with ungodly means, the rest of his life was marked by tragedy. So I would say to you very soberly, that just because God doesn't strike you down dead because of a sin that you are committing, doesn't mean that He's in favor with what you're doing. Just because He doesn't strike you with a severe illness doesn't mean that God is, hey, you know what's okay? I'm, I'm sovereign. I'm going to accomplish my purposes. doesn't mean that He's pleased with us. Now, let me be clear that there's two ways that we can please God. One is this, this uh, judicial pleasing of God, which we ultimately can't do. We have to have Jesus Christ in our place. And that never changes. As believers, as Jacob is a believer, he is judicially accepted before God. God never removes him from his choice line. Removes him from his family. But there's a second way that we can please God, and that's talked about by Paul in the New Testament. And that's more uh, likened to the obedience of a son to his father. Paul talks about that we as believers can grieve the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, he says believers ought to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. He's not talking about salvation there. He's talking about understanding God, who He is, what He desires, and pursuing His goal with godly means. And so what I'm saying to you is that the end never justifies the means based on the whole of Scripture. Just because we have a a godly goal in mind doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want in order to get there. I want to see God glorified. Because when Jacob and Rebekah sinned, they not only sinned against Isaac and Esau, but also, obviously, and most importantly, against God. And the the tragedy for us is that we still live this way when difficulties and crises come, don't we? We don't trust God and His ordained means, what He has told us we ought to do, because it doesn't seem to make the most sense. And so what we do is we move on ahead of God where God has told us not to go. I'll take you there. I'll, I'll take you there on my own, but don't go ahead of me. Follow behind and do it my way. God will ultimately not allow it. We are not God. The end does not justify the means when it comes to your finances. You may have godly goals in mind for your finances. You know, since I would be better off with my money than the government, it's okay for me to, and we can use different words for how we deal with our taxes, but cheat, evade, After all, the government's going to use it for ungodly purposes, so it would be better off in my hands because I'm going to use it for godly purposes. What I'm telling you is that you're acting, I am acting like Jacob and Rebecca when we do that. We're saying the end justifies the means. We're we're seeking a godly goal, so we can get there any way we want. The end never justifies the means when it comes to evangelism. We want to see God's people saved. So it's okay that we go about getting people saved in whatever way we can. We get people to hear the Gospel. We pay them to hear the Gospel. We can even lie to them about what God's going to offer. There's lots of TV preachers that do that. Oh, God's not concerned about your sin. Just come to Him this way. What we've done is we've pursued a godly goal. We want to see God glorified, people saved, but we've done it in the wrong way. The end never justifies the means. It doesn't justify the means when it comes to living with our spouse or a family member. When it comes to a spouse, you know, I want my wife to submit to me, so I'll force her to submit, even if it means some sort of abuse. Obviously, that's a wrong. That's a wrong way of going about it. Good motive. We want to see God pleased in her life and following, submitting, but we go about it in the wrong way. We demean her or some other means of abuse. The end never justifies the means when it comes to business practices or any area of life. We have a worthwhile goal in mind so we can do whatever we want in order to get to that worthwhile goal and God will be pleased in it. And So what I'm saying to you is that we must pursue God-honoring goals. Yes, like Jacob and Rebecca. But we must do it in God-honoring ways, means. Listen to Griffith Thomas. He says, Righteousness can never be laid aside even though our object is yet More righteousness in personal life, in home life, in church life, in endeavors to win men for Christ, in missionary enterprise, in social improvement, and in everything connected with the welfare of humanity. We must insist upon absolute righteousness, purity, and truth in our methods or else we shall bring utter discredit on the cause of our Master and Lord. We must pursue God-honoring goals in God-honoring ways. We must accomplish God's purposes, God's ways. Because if we seek to accomplish His purposes by manipulation or or coercion or deceit, then what we really show is that we're not concerned about God and His purposes. We're not really concerned about God and His truth. We don't really believe that God will accomplish His purposes through His ordained means. And we become, we show that we are lacking in faith and in God's ability to work apart from us. We act as if God needs us. As if we're not here, then God would somehow self destruct. When Acts chapter 17 says, Our God doesn't need anything. No one has ever given something to God as if He needed something. Because our God is like any other person. He is unlike any other God. He needs no one's, No one. And yet, the great part about our God is that He still uses us despite our flaws. He uses the actions of people to accomplish His purposes, whether they are good actions or bad action or mixed actions like we have here. God still uses them. Think back to chapter nine with Noah's drunkenness. Think back to chapter twenty and chapter twenty-six with, with uh, uh, excuse me chapter twelve and chapter twenty with Abraham's lie about his wife, and chapter twenty-six with Isaac. God still accomplishes His purposes despite our frailty, despite our sin. So God will accomplish what He has set out to do. He will set, He will accomplish it with or without our conniving ways. And uh, so in this passage, we see this reprehensible deception on the part of Jacob and Rebekah. But what we cannot miss here is the glory of God in this passage. That God has an unswerving determination to keep His Word despite the frail unbelief of His people, despite the short-sightedness and the unfaithfulness and them moving on ahead of God. Despite all that, what was God's word to Rebekah? Jacob will be the leader over Esau and that's what happens. Now, despite all of uh, Rebekah's foolishness and Isaac's lack of faith and Jacob's deception and Esau's indifference and his later rage, God still accomplishes His, accomplishes his purposes. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll conclude here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. One commentator pointed out this verse and I thought this was a very appropriate way to end our, our time this evening. 2 Timothy 2 verses 11-13. through 13. Paul writes, For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we also will reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Okay, notice the first two lines. You have promises of hope. If we died with Him, we will live with Him. There's hope. Here's another message of hope. If we endure, we also will reign with Him. Now a warning in the third line, verse 12. If we deny Him... He also will deny us. Now here's what we expect in verse four, uh, in verse 13, the fourth line, we would expect, if we are faithless, he, God will be unfaithful. But what do we read there? If we are faithful, faithless, he remains faithful. God is always faithful even to his own unbelieving, uh, excuse me, unfaithful children. What is it that you're willing to do in order to accomplish God's purposes? Are you willing to deceive? Are you willing to, to move on ahead of God where He doesn't want you to go? Are you willing to treat His Word with contempt as set it aside? I don't need that. I'm going to get it my way. God, I want what is best for me. I want to see You glorified, Yes. But I'm not really willing to follow the rules that you've set out for me. I'll accomplish it how I think is best. And really what we're saying there is, I'll be God here. I'll accomplish the purposes in the world through my actions. Let me leave you with a quotation from Don Carson. He he says, Providence is mysterious. It must never be used to justify wrong actions or to mitigate sin, to do away with sin. Isaac and his family are more than a little sleazy, deceitful, vile, and corrupt. Yet, God sovereignly rules behind the scenes, bringing glory out of gore and honor out of shame. And that last line, I think, is a great statement of summary of what we've seen so far in Genesis. God sovereignly rules behind the scenes, bringing glory out of gore and honor out of shame. And praise God that He still gets glory out of the things that we mess up. And He's still willing to be faithful to us, even when we are faithless. What a great God we serve. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would soften our hearts to Your Word this evening. Help us to think critically about our own hearts and our own motives. We certainly do want to be people who have proper motives, godly goals. But we also want to do it Your way. And that's really where true faith comes in. That's really where uh, the rub comes comes. the it's difficult. It's one thing to see your goals and to pursue them It's another thing to do them your way. Because sometimes we are following you when it doesn't make sense. With all the things that are going on in the world around us, with all the things that are going on with our health and uh, the conflicts that are going on in life, it seems just much easier, much more uh, it makes much more sense for us to just do it our way. To go against Your Word so that we can accomplish good goals. Help us to be people of faith. We know that You do use people who are faithless, like Jacob. But we're thankful that that uh, You can do even greater things to those who are faithful. We don't want to, to um, reproach Your name in any way or mar uh, the, the work that You're doing. So help us to have... Uh, godly means. Help us to go about doing your goals in a godly way. Give us discernment, we pray, in day-to-day life. When it comes to our finances, our family, our relationships, our work, our taxes, give us wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.